Will you pray for the one who preaches, for his sins are many? Let's pray. Holy and merciful God, may something of what is said and done here this morning, or something at least that is seen and heard here this morning, be not of us, may it not be of me or the folks in this room, may it be from you and of you and of your promises and the things that you have done for us and the things that you would have us do for you in our lives and in this your world. In your holy name we ask it. Amen. I have a Father's Day memory for you. When I was a kid, and I remember going on my very first roller coaster with my dad at King's Dominion, and I remember being a little bit anxious for the ride and standing in line with my dad, and my dad was trying to calm me down by pointing up at the ride and pointing out every last loop and drop, which didn't really calm me down, but his theory was that if... if I knew what was coming on the ride, that it might prepare me a little bit better. And I will say that in the moment it didn't calm me down, but I did feel a little more prepared once I was on the ride. So I'm grateful to my dad for that moment. Uh, today's sermon's going to be a roller coaster. Uh, we're going to be looking at one of the most discussed and debated and arguably difficult passages that we find in Scripture. It's the story of Abraham and his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. I want to start out by just naming uh, that this is a really troubling story. Uh, It has a happy ending, but it's difficult to understand. And as you hear me read the story, it's likely to make you uncomfortable. If it does, that's good. It means that you are a modern human being. Uh, Because to modern readers, this should make us uncomfortable because on the surface of it, the kind of God and the faith that is described or implied in this story doesn't sound like the kind of God or faith that you and I come on Sunday mornings to find encouragement in. So before I get on this ride this morning, before we get on this ride this morning, I wanna tell you where we're going. All the loops and dives and twists. Uh, First, we're going to talk a little bit about why this story is troubling. Then, I'm going to give you some historical context that I think will help you see and understand what's actually happening in this story and why this story actually is encouraging and how it's encouraging. And then finally, we're going to take one last twist and I'm going to point out some things about our own lives in our own world that are probably going to make us feel uncomfortable again. So with that, let's buckle up. Keep your arms and your feet inside the cars at all times. And let's listen for God's word in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Father Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, and Abraham replied, here I am. God said, take your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. And he took two of his young servants with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering 
And they set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown to Abraham. On the third day of traveling, Abraham looked up and saw the mountain from far away. And Abraham said to his young servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and we will worship. And then we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac to carry up the mountain. Abraham himself carried the torch and the knife. And the two of them walked together. And as they walked, Isaac said to his father, "Uh, Father? And Abraham replied, Here I am. My son. And Isaac said, So I see the fire. I see the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said to Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them kept walking together. When they came to the place that God had shown to Abraham, they built an altar there, and they laid the wood in order. Then Abraham bound his son Isaac and laid Isaac on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand with the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. God said, do not lay your hand on this boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham looked up and then saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and slaughtered it and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. What a terrible story for Father's Day. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I planned this Genesis sermon series out back in January, and I read through all of Genesis, and I, I picked out the scripture passages I wanted to preach on, and I took the calendar, and I laid those scripture passages over the calendar, and then I didn't think about it until this week when I realized I had picked the story of Father Abraham pulling a knife on his son for Father's Day, and I thought, goodness, this is going to be a roller coaster of a sermon. But here we are. Let's buckle up. So let's start with talking about what's wrong with this story. Let's pretend that you have a neighbor. And one day you're standing next to your fence talking to your neighbor on the other side of the fence. And your neighbor starts telling you about church. And he says, you know, this one time God commanded me 
to slaughter my son. Uh, and I even got to the point where I took my son up to the top of the mountain and, and I built an altar, altar and I tied my son up and I laid him on top of the altar. But then at the very last minute, God spoke to me and told me not to do it. You would be afraid of your neighbor. You'd probably call the police. You would think he was mentally disturbed at best or a religious nutcase at the absolute worst. Let's flip it. Let's think about it from the other side. Imagine you've got a friend who is telling you about his childhood and he shares to you that once when he was younger, he has this memory of his dad taking him up on a mountain, tying him up, uh, and then having his dad draw a knife on him, ready to kill him because God told him to, only for him to back off at the last minute because God provided a ram instead you would think that story was horrific there'd probably be a netflix documentary made about it you'd call it abusive you'd call it spiritual manipulation in the name of god that is what is troubling about this story even though this story has a happy ending this story has echoes of religion at its very worst. At its very worst. These days, religion doesn't have the best reputation. Uh, as a pastor on occasion, I've heard people say that they aren't really fans of organized religion. And the reason is because of stuff like this. Or organized religion, at its worst, can be manipulative and controlling. It can be abusive and it can be exclusive. It can lead people to do things that are irrational and violent. And it's not surprising, a critic might say, when your Bible, your sacred text, includes horrifying stories like this one, where God commands a father to kill his son only to take it back at the last minute. Religions can be and have been responsible for some really, really bad stuff. You can think of examples. I know you can. Of people you know in your own life who've had really bad experiences with religion. And it's not just personal, it's historical as well. Religion has been responsible for a lot of really bad stuff. But there's also the other side. It's responsible for a lot of really good stuff too. And at the risk of stating the obvious... I think organized religion is important to everyone's life and to our society. So let's talk a little bit about what religion is. It's a notoriously difficult word to define, but I'm going to try this morning. Or the word religion is a compound word. You take two Latin words, you put them together. The first word is re. Re means again. Again, to repeat, to redo. Again, that's what the word re means. The other word is lagare, which means to bind. To bind. So we get our English word ligament from this word, like the binding between two bones. So if you put those two words together, religion, the word religion means the binding again and again 
and again and again. What a religion is, is a thing that a person binds themselves to over and over and over and over again. That's what religion is. This binding always comes at a cost. The reason we do this binding is because it offers us a sense of validation, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. We bind ourselves to things external to ourselves in order to make life worth living in some way, shape, or form. But this exchange is a give and a take. There's another side to the things that we bind ourselves to, the deity, the God, some kind of sacred ideal or principle. And the other side is you have to give something up in return to keep the gods appeased. And often the cost of this binding that we enter into is staggering. The cost can even be human life itself. So this brings me to the context that I want to offer to the story this morning. Today, we hear a story like this and we find it to be abhorrent because it flirts with a thing that we modern people find to be unthinkable, which is human sacrifice. We think of human sacrifice as an unthinkable thing. But you have to understand that to ancient people, human sacrifice was not unthinkable. It was terrifying, but it was a known and not uncommon part of society and of life. We have both written and archaeological evidence of this. Tribes and nations and people who were all around the Israelites, all around this part of the world, worshipped gods, worshipped deities who regularly demanded human blood in order to be happy, in order to be appeased. Sometimes these tribes participated in child sacrifice even. This is horrifying. This is the stuff of nightmares. This is the stuff of horror movies to us, and rightly so. But the idea that gods require that some people die in order for the society to be blessed by the divine, that has been a common fixture all throughout human history, not just in the ancient Near East, but all over the world. On every continent, you can find cultures that made a regular practice of sacrificing human life to the divine. It's a horrifying but true fact of human history. But what that means is that if you were an ancient person hearing this story, The story about the one true God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, you would have heard it as horrifying. You would have been frightened by the story. It would have even made you feel uncomfortable, but it would not have been shocking. It would not have been surprising. Because of course, the one true God, you would think, would demand Abraham sacrifice his son. That is what gods do to us. That is what religion does to us. We bind ourselves to it and it makes demands of you and the demands can be costly. You get meaning, you get purpose, you get hope, but exchange, you are giving something 
up. But let me tell you what would have been surprising to the ancient listener. The thing that would have been surprising would have been the thing that happens at the end of the story. The twist. The twist to the ancient listener comes when Abraham is about to strike down his son who has been laid on the altar. God stops Abraham's hand and tells him to unbind his son. The Lord will provide, Abraham says. And the Lord does. That is the M. Night Shyamalan twist. That's the thing nobody would have expected. That is the part that turns the whole thing upside down. And believe it or not, that part of that story, I would argue, turns our entire world, our entire understanding of what it means to be human upside down. This is what I want you to understand about this story. Sometimes this story is framed as about being about the importance of trusting God. Abraham trusts God and is willing to risk everything. I think that is true. That is what this story is about. But before it can be about that, it first has to be a story that reveals that the God of Abraham, the true God, is a different kind of God from every other God human beings dream up and end up binding ourselves to. In that our God, our religion is not a God, not a religion that binds you. Our God is a God that unbinds. Our God is a God that provides rather than takes in order to be appeased. Our God is a God who promises. Promises you everything before he demands anything. This is critical to understand. It's because we believe that God is this kind of God today that we can look at abuses and violence and manipulation in the name of religion and feel uncomfortable about it because that is not who God is. That is not the God you learned about. So that's the first thing I want to tell you about this story. That's the context, I think, that helps you see that this story is actually more encouraging than it seems right there at the surface, even though our modern ears might find it to be disturbing. Now, here's the flip side. Here's that last twist in the roller coaster ride. Here's the observation that we need to make about our world today that is going to make us uncomfortable again. Are you ready? Here it goes. You and I are not all that different from Abraham in that we every single day are willing to blindly make human sacrifices to our modern gods every single day it's true organized religion does not have the best reputation these days the manipulative, the controlling side of it, the abusive, the exclusive side of it, the violent and irrational side of religion, that seems to increasingly define the entire thing for more and more people. And I hear people say this all the time. You know, I'm just not a fan of organized religion. And you know, statistics show that people are increasingly just walking away from organized religion altogether. Less and less people get up and come to church on a Sunday morning or go to a synagogue or, or whatever. But you know what the thing is? The opposite of organized religion is not no religion. 
The opposite of organized religion is disorganized religion. And disorganized religion is not better. Disorganized anything is not actually better. Even if we don't go to church, people still end up needing meaning and purpose and hope in their lives. People are going to bind themselves to things in the interest of finding some kind of validation in themselves. Only people will then go and start binding themselves to things other than God. People will, will bind themselves to their work. People will bind themselves to politics. People will bind themselves to wealth or power or, or progress or indulgence in the interest of finding something significant to be a part of, something enjoyable, something satisfying about life. These things become our gods in the absence of the one true God. And we should make no mistake, when you bind yourself to these kinds of gods, these gods also demand human sacrifice of us. It doesn't look the same way, but if you bind yourself to your work, it'll suck the life out of you and out of your family. And you'll find yourself willing to sacrifice any person who might be an obstacle to your success. Just throw them under the bus. If you bind yourself to your politics, if that's where you find encouragement and meaning and hope for the future, anyone you oppose will start to seem less than human to you, an enemy that maybe even has to die. Bind yourself to the goal of turning a profit, and you will find that people come, become little more than just statistics. And when it turns out that your product is bad for people, you'll keep on selling it in the interest of making more money it doesn't even have to be this sinister. If you bind yourself to convenience, you will not be bothered to stop and ask that homeless couple that is sitting against the wall outside the church whether they need help because you've got more important things to do. And if you bind yourself to the idea that everyone should work hard and earn their keep and people get what they deserve, you will be able to write off that couple as nothing more than a couple of lazy bums. And you'll never have to think about them ever again. Do you see what's happening here? We are all religious. There is no such thing as not being religious. We are all religious and our religions demand a sacrifice. And the only question is whether we're going to be intentional about how we're being religious or not. And if we're being intentional about how we're being religious, then we should stop and ask ourselves, what kind of religion is best? What kind of God would actually be worth binding yourself to? And it seems to me, that of all the gods of all of human history that have ever been dreamed up, there's this one true God. This one true God who proves to be worth binding yourself to more than any other. And that one true God that you might give yourself to in exchange for validation and hope and meaning is the one God that doesn't bind, but unbinds. The one God who promises 
everything before any demand is made. The one God who provides, provides, and takes nothing to be appeased. The God of grace, the God of forgiveness. So friends, on this Father's Day, I want you to hear the good news of your heavenly Father. You have been unbound. The Lord has provided. The Lord has provided. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.